I know. Do you? I know that he lives. I believe that he lives. But sometimes, as we're going to talk about this morning, is that it's hard to to feel his presence, and sometimes we want proof, and sometimes we want a God who will talk to us. The last several weeks, what we have been studying is, what is our response to God, especially in light of Thanksgiving? How do we respond? How do we give thanks to God who's given us great things? And how do we give thanks to a God who seemingly hasn't given us all the things that we wish that we would like to have. Maybe our box, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, is somewhat empty. How do we give thanks to God for promises that yet haven't been fulfilled? You know, I was thinking about this uh, the last couple of weeks, transitioning into, okay, so what's God's part of the deal in this? And I I came up with this um, uh, sermon title, and I wanted you to read it and think, well, he's off his rocker, which is probably what you think anyway, so we're still right on track. What's God got to do with it? Nothing. That's what I think. What does God have to do with it? Nothing. But I want to say it in a little bit different terms. What does God have to do about it? What does he have to do about it? And for all you English teachers who don't like the word got, sorry, that's in there for a reason. What has God got to do about it? What does God got to do about your job problems? What does God have to do about all these different issues in your life? What does He have to do about it? Nothing. God doesn't have to do anything about it. Now, I want to back up because you're starting to think that I believe in a very callous God, a, a, a very deistic God who, you know, spun the world, set back and say, hey, let's just watch chaos ensue. I don't believe that either. But I, I want to argue that maybe God's already done a whole lot and maybe we're asking for things that aren't quite as important. I, I just saw this on my bookshelf a couple days ago as, as I was uh, studying. It just caught my eye. Uh, I have a whole um, bookshelf, just a, a whole little section on grief. And, and I, I feel that that's a really important way that we can minister to people. And, and obviously there are others out there who believe even more so than I do because they write books, lots of books on how to work through grief and different things like that. And Leith Anderson writes this book. It's, uh, it's entitled, When God Says No. And I thought about that and I thought, you know what, that's actually not a bad title. When God says no, but I actually think that there are worse, worse things to have to deal with rather than when God says no. I want to call Mr. Anderson up and I said, will you write one more book and just add a little on to this last word? I want you to talk about when God says nothing. When God says nothing. You know, I, I think we are a little um, confused or, or we misperceive the overly talkative God in the Old Testament. Do you ever get the feeling that God talked a whole lot in the Old Testament and now we don't hear from Him at all? Have you ever kind of got... I've gotten that idea before because I've read through the Old Testament and it seems like God speaks to His people over and over and over again. Now, there is one great exception to this, and this is Moses. 
Uh, Moses talked to God a lot, okay? But I'll say this. God is going to call you to leave two, lead two million people out of slavery and to wander around in the desert. I would like to think that he's going to talk to me a little bit, right? But since none of us are headed to the desert with two million people, maybe it's okay that God chooses not to speak to us quite as often as he did to Moses. But I'll also say... If you're not hearing God a whole lot, you're not in bad company. And I'm going to use an example of our dear friend and the father of faith, Abraham. We are introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 11. That's where we learn that he has a father named Terah. He has a brother named Haran. uh, And they just so happen to live in a town called Haran. Okay, he is 70 years old at the time. Okay, is he a Jew? (laughs) That's kind of a funny thing to say. There were no Jews at the time. He would begin to be the father of the Jews. He would be the father of all the people and from his seed, singular, God would bless the world. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we hear about... Abraham, excuse me, Abram again. This time, Haran has died, and God is going to come to Abram, and he's going to say, I'm going to take you to a special place. I'm going to take you to the land of Canaan, and you will have many descendants. He was 75 years old. Now, what we don't get is a play-by-play of what happens to Abram over the next 25 years. We get snippets. And that makes this story even a little bit more difficult for us to understand because we forget that what only took a few minutes and a few chapters to go through was Abram and his wife Sarai living. For 25 years. Okay, let me put this into perspective. How long is 25 years? If I do the math right, what what year does that put us in? 1990. Actually, 1989. Right? How many of you were not alive in 1989? I just, I want to get out of there. Get your hands higher than that. All of these people in here were not, what was that? Scotty, did you have your hand raised? (laughs) We'd like to think that. In 1989, I was in seventh grade. I want you to think about where you were in 1989. I want you to think about that for just a minute. I want you to imagine what if God had chosen to speak to you in 1989 and He says, pack your bags, we're going somewhere. And you're like, okay, I'm ready. 25 years. And and God, pardon the but he makes about three cameo appearances 
in Abram and Sarah's life in that 25-year period. They move, remember they go, and Lot looks at the land, and Abram looks at the land, and Abram says, hey, you take the good land. And Abraham's standing there looking at the desert. I think they called it Hobbs. And they looked at it, and God says, don't worry. I'm going to give all of this land to you. That was really it. So in Genesis 15, we hear of the the covenant. uh, uh, Well, first we have in in Genesis 11, I mentioned, he's introduced to, uh, we're introduced to Abram. He's 70 years old. Five years later, God makes a covenant. In chapter 13, Abram and Lot separate. And that's where we get this small interaction where God basically says, I'm going to give you a lot of land. In Genesis chapter 14, Abram goes out to rescue Lot. This is before Sodom. This is the, the, the first rescue that he has. Okay, And we get a little bit of this, but what we do not get in Genesis chapter 14, in the midst of Abram getting his army ready and going and attacking and saving Lot, what we don't get is any mention of God. We have no words of God coming to Abram and saying, here's what I want you to do. Nothing. Abram is supposed to be faithful to God and make some decisions without God directly intervening and telling him what to do. Genesis chapter 15, we have the covenant in which God pops in and says, Hey, don't forget, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to do really great things through you. Well, Genesis chapter 16, we're reminded that Abram, while a faithful person, is a little bit anxious. And his wife, who I think has very good intentions, and is willing to remove herself, if Abram is going to be the father of faith, she would love to be the mother, but that's not going to happen. So she's going to step aside. Say, hey, I'll remove myself so God's promise can be true and Hagar can come into that situation. And that was not God's plan at all. But God had been speaking. They weren't really sure what they should do. And when there was silence, when God said nothing, they began trying to make up their own plans. And of course, Hagar and Ishmael, we know about that in 16 and 17 There is the covenant of circumcision. In chapter 18 of Genesis, there's these three visitors. And they come to visit Abram. And his name has been changed to Abraham. And he says, uh, they say, by the way, you know, you're going to have a child. And Sarah snickers. And I love how, I love how this goes. And, and the visitor said, you were laughing. And she says, no, I wasn't. And a year later, you're going to be with child. And well, that seems real great, but then something happens in verse 19. Sodom takes place. And Abraham is left to deal with that in another rescue of Lot. And in the midst of all of that, there's an interaction between Abraham and Abimelech where this is the second time now that we have Abraham who's going to lie about Sarah being his wife and instead insist that he's her, his sister. Now it's getting really confusing. And God is silent. 
Then finally, in Genesis chapter 21, we were introduced to Abraham in chapter 11, 10 chapters, 25 years later. Abraham is going to have a son. Now, God's going to talk to him again. And we're going to save that for next week. Because I just want to warn you, for those of you who pine for hearing the Lord speak to you and you insist on Him doing something, let me give you a warning. Let me just say this. When God speaks to you, big, big, big changes happen. Sometimes it involves ending up in the belly of a fish. Sometimes it involves leaving your home. Sometimes it involves going up a mountain with your child to sacrifice them. So when God speaks, usually what He has to say is something really challenging which we'll talk about next week in Genesis chapter 22. Now, I want to make this disclaimer. I want to answer a few questions in case you have them. You may be asking, can God speak to His people? The answer is yes. Do we have proof through the Bible that He has spoken to His people? Of course He has. Okay, will He speak to you? Maybe. Maybe He'll speak to you. Does He have to? Absolutely not. Now, I love, I love preaching. And I, because to me, it's, it's a, a spreading of God's Word. Hopefully it's something that's encouraging. And it's something that you can take with you. But this message this morning seems a little confusing because it doesn't sound really What I'm saying is this, God may choose not to speak to you directly. And I know lots of people who are waiting for God to tell them what to do. And if you're waiting for God to tell you what to do, where to step, when to turn, then you're going to be waiting a long, long time. Perhaps God chooses to be silent because He's calling you to be faithful. Joseph had dreams from God that his brothers and his father would bow down before him. And then what happened next? He ended up in a well. They were going to kill him. But they decided instead they would just sell him off. And getting out of the well wasn't much better because he ended up in a foreign country with people who didn't speak his language. But he ended up in the house of Potiphar and that went well for a while until his wife got involved. And then he ended up in jail again. And we have have no record of God directing Joseph daily. David, anointed king. And then he had to go back out into the field. And then he got to go to the palace. But then he was chased out of the palace by a king. And he ended up in a cave. 
I want to talk about a God who sometimes says nothing. And how I do not want that to affect your faith and your trust in Him. What does God have to do? Nothing. Jesus makes several promises. One of them, in John, when he's praying with his disciples, and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't true, I would have told you, and I am coming back. That's one of the promises that he made. Another promise we have is in Luke chapter 21, verse 15. And actually, I want to turn over there and read some of this because it fits in context. I I think you'll see where I'm going with this. Luke chapter 21 says, nation, this is, this is Jesus, uh, he's, he's speaking about the signs of the end of the age, and a question is asked, you know, when are these signs going to take place? And he says, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, there will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilence in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven, and here he doesn't say, and I'm going to be giving you daily instructions on what's going to take place. He's going to make a promise down here in just a second. But for all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry before, uh, beforehand how you will defend yourselves. And here's the promise. Luke 21, 15. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. What he says in there is in that time I will give you the words. What he does not say is I will give you daily confirmation that I'm still with you. You see, for those of you who are asking, why is God not speaking to me? I want you to know that God's promise is that His Spirit is with you and that He will return and that in time of persecution, He will give you the words. Again, you are not in bad company if you find yourself wondering where God is. I want to uh, read an excerpt out of the book, uh, God Work by Randy Harris. Uh, He's a professor and an author uh, he's at uh, Abilene Christian University, uh, and he, he shares just a, a quick synopsis of the, the book of Esther. Does anybody know what's unusual about the book of Esther? God is not mentioned. Listen to what he has to say about Esther, her story, her plot, and, and uh, what's written about her. One of my favorite Old Testament books is Esther, where some serious weirdness is going on. I don't know what to make of it. I think it's supposed to be funny. I I think most things are. You can go ahead and look at life as a drama if you want. It's a little more interesting if you look at it as a farce. 
There's this crazy book of Esther, and I don't know what to do with it. It's like good news and bad news. Here's the good news. The king, he's an idiot. He throws a drunken party, calls his queen to come out and show her friends what a wonderful queen that she is. The good news is that the queen is virtuous, and she's not going to display herself. The bad news is the king fires her. But the good news is that the king's going to pick another queen, and it's going to be Esther. And I don't know if you've noticed, but God is nowhere in sight. The bad news is that the king, again, is an idiot. He passes an irrevocable irrevocable decree that all the Jews are to be killed. The good news is that Mordecai finds out it out about it, and the Jews have an inside person, Queen Esther. The bad news is she does not really want the job. The good news is that Mordecai, he's very persuasive. The bad news is that there is a bad guy, Haman, hanging around the king. Haman erects the gallows on which, on which he wishes to kill Mordecai. It's 75 feet tall. Do you know what you call that? Overkill. But the good news is that the king has insomnia. He's reading a book of all the happenings at the court, things that should put him asleep. He finds out that Mordecai at one point has done uh, him a great turn, so he wants to do something for Mordecai. The good news is is that the queen messes up uh, her courage to go in in front of the king, holds out the scepter, and she's going to throw him another party. It's good news. The good news is that the queen is sneaky. At the beginning of the book, she looks like a little valley girl, but at the end, she, she looks like she's figured it out a little better. She sets Haman up. He gets killed. That's the good news. But I don't know if you've noticed, God is nowhere in sight. Well, there's some more bad news, I guess. The king, well, he's still not that smart. He's passed this irrevocable decree that all the Jews are to be killed and he can't revoke it. So what he does is he passes another one that says that Jews uh, can defend themselves. So this not really bright king sets up a situation where all of his subjects get to kill each other. But this turns out to be good news. The Jews win. I don't know if you've noticed, but God is still nowhere in sight. Don't you just love that book? In a lot of ways, Esther is the book for our time. I've got to believe that the writer the whole time is going wink, wink, nod, nod. God is nowhere in sight. Surely, we're supposed to see here that God is nowhere in sight, is everywhere. I believe through a whole lot of our lives that God is nowhere in sight. He actually prefers the shadows, to the light. Even when we think that God is nowhere, even when He remains silent, even when He's found nowhere in the book of Esther, God is still there. So here's the comfort I want to offer you. That just because you don't hear Him or feel Him does not mean that He's abandoned you. I thought about this for a long time and I wanted to come up with some sort of an analogy to help us really grasp what God has done for us and how He's not in any way obligated to still speak to us 
at every whim that we have? Does God have to, to give us divine intervention when we're supposed to buy a house? Is it His responsibility to land us the new job? To somehow figure out how we've messed up in our and give me the wisdom or perform a miracle and let me balance my, my checkbook? We ask some, not some unimportant things, but in light of what God has given us, I think we miss out that He's really done a lot more than we can imagine. So I'm going to use this analogy. I used this a little bit back and I'm going to extend it. Several months ago we were talking about what would happen if this, this half of the auditorium got this, this terrible sickness and that there's an antidote that needed to be found and it was going to be found in the blood of someone and finally after searching and searching and searching it was determined that, that Brevin was the one God. You remember that? You remember the time that we decided in front of everybody else that you would be the sacrifice for all of the people, Right? And so that decision was made that Brevin would offer his blood and ultimately his life so that all of the world would then survive, right? Think about this. All of the world, everyone who has ever breathed, needs Jesus. And God said, I will give my son his blood to save the world. Now think about this. Years have passed. We are all alive thanks to Brevin and his parents were willing to make a sacrifice for us. We are now living as a result of the decision that they made. I want to ask you, how many of you a couple years later, you're sitting around the house alive, playing with your kids that you have because they gave up theirs, and you're thinking, wouldn't it be great if I got a new car? I really need a new car. And so you call up Brevin's parents. Sorry about the loss. I mean, I really appreciate that you gave your son for me, but the deal is this. Man, my car getting worn down. I really could use a new car. Is anybody making that phone call? Is anybody expecting the McCools to call you someday and said, Hey, I know that I gave you my son and, and your life is now better because of that. But maybe what you really need, maybe you need a little bit bigger house. Maybe you need a, a more secure job. Maybe I can ride out what you're supposed to do today. As if it wasn't enough that they gave their son, you want something more. How ludicrous is it that we sometimes find ourselves praying to God, God, would you just make me happy? Just make me happy! Listen, you want to get me excited? I am so fed up. With people, preachers standing up and say, all God wants is to make you happy. All God did is He gave His Son for you. And it's ridiculous to think that as some people, we look at our belly buttons and we think, you know what? God just wants me to be happy. God gave you His best. And so sometimes He doesn't speak to you. But if God can be that loving, can't we be that faithful? 
I'm not saying we shouldn't lift up our prayers to God, but let's remember this. God gave everything for us. I've been at the red light. And I've prayed, God, make the light green. I hung up the phone with, with Randy three years ago and said, we're not going. And I said, God, give me a sign. I can't tell you how many times I prayed, God, give us a sign. Do something. Tell me what to do. But maybe, maybe God says, I just want you to be faithful. Because I'm not going to leave you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, just trust in me. If, if I'm going to give up my son for you, you got to trust the promises that he made. I don't know if you find this discouraging, disheartening. I hope you find a little encouragement. That just because things might not be going the way that you want, or maybe God is not speaking to you in the way that you think He should speak to you, just remember, the same God that waited 25 years to fulfill one part of the promise is the same God that still calls you out today. And by the way, it was a two-part promise, wasn't it? One, He said, you're going to be uh, you know, the father of many nations. And I guess you could argue that that came true when Isaac was Although Isaac was one, the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, that's a lot more than one. But still, at least it was a good start. And what was the second promise that he had for him? I'm going to give you the land. We have Abraham. He has his son Isaac. His Isaac has his son who? Jacob. I won't make you list all the sons or the daughter, but Jacob had 12 sons, one of them being Joseph. Joseph would move his whole family to Egypt. They would be in Egypt for how long? 400 years, Abraham lived to be 175, he had Isaac at 100, he did not witness this take place. When we join the story in Exodus, Abraham is gone, but the promise of God is not. God would call Moses, who would bring out of Egypt, Two million descendants who would then travel on into a land after a little while. But God was faithful in His promise. My prayer is that each of you will continue to seek God and to be faithful to Him. And if He chooses to speak to you, do a couple of things. One, listen. (laughs) And two, get ready to move. (laughs) Because God has big things. But if He's silent, be faithful. Because we have a God who has never left us. 
And He is with us. Always. I want to offer a prayer of blessing on each one of us. And after that prayer, we're going to have an invitation. And if there's any way that we can serve you, I want to encourage you to come forward or go in the back. We'll have an elder back in the family room. But I want us to remember that we have a God who is faithful. I'm going to ask if you would all stand as I offer a prayer of blessing for you this morning. Father God, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty God. You're a God who calls us to be faithful. And sometimes that faithfulness requires Your silence. But never is it Your absence. Because You are always with us. Your love will always reach us. And so Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning as as we stand here in agreement with this message that You are a God who is faithful. Lord, You've made a promise for each one of us. A promise that You will deliver us into the land that You have prepared for us. But for some, we've been on a journey for a long time. Lord, we've been on a journey for a long time and maybe we haven't yet stepped foot into that land. But Lord, the promise is that someday that we will. Lord, I don't know if that will happen at the end of our lives. I don't know that it, if it won't happen today that You will come right now. But Lord, my prayer is that we will be people who will be faithful to You. Lord, I'm thankful for the fact that Abraham would accept that call and be faithful to You. I'm thankful for Moses that he would wander around in the desert with millions of grumblers because he was faithful to You. Lord, I'm thankful. I'm especially thankful for Leighton and Johnny. We're so thankful for the way that they have followed You. That they have chosen to be godly people who would be faithful to their Father. Lord, we don't know what the plans for each one of us is. But Lord, I know that wherever they go, I know that wherever we go, that You will be there. Lord, may we continue to be a people who give thanks and praise to a God who never leaves us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Lynn.